Bible says in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried one unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. It is my goal today to try to communicate a very important truth to everybody here this morning, and if you will allow the Word of God to speak, it will challenge you today. My title this morning is The Revelation of True Worship. Most of y'all have conked out already by me saying that title. So let me give you my real title. My real title today is simply this. Chicken Coops, Mean Dogs, and a Holy God. Amen. I want to talk to us today. And I know, don't let the title fool you. I have a word from the Lord this morning. I want to talk to you about Chicken Coops, Mean Dogs, and a Holy God. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated in the fear of the Lord this morning. I feel like I will echo what the last few evangelists have said since they've been through over the last month. But I, I want to go ahead and start. I don't have time to just waste time today. I want to go ahead and jump right in. Yes, we all know this, but let me remind you that there is nothing in this world like true apostolic church. There's nothing like apostolic church when you step into an apostolic church service you don't wonder where you are you don't have to wonder what they believe when you step into a true apostolic church you know exactly what you're getting into and to be clear apostolic church is not characterized by the size of the building the location of the campus the talent of the praise team or even the fame of the pastor doesn't matter if you're in a home missions work with 10 people or you're in an arena with 10,000. The truth is a real red hot apostolic church service is known for one thing and one thing only and that is true worship. If what you experienced here today freaks you out, we do not apologize. We are known for apostolic worship. So we clap our hands, we lift our hands, we sing, we dance, we run, we get a little crazy when we worship. You see, you may look at that and think that's weird, but you got to understand some of the things we do is very biblical. Psalm 30 and 4 says, sing unto the Lord, O ye saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. Psalm 47 and 1 says, Oh, clap your hands, all ye people, and shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Psalm 100 verses 1 and 2 tell us, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. All ye lands, serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. And if you really need to have a manual for worship, Psalm 150 says, Praise ye the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the firmament of his power. Praise him for his mighty acts. 
Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the psaltery and harp. Praise him with the timbrel and dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and organs. Praise him upon the loud cymbals. Praise him upon the high sounding cymbals. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Hey, my friend, uh, if you think what we do is strange, uh, then what they did in the Bible was strange uh, because we make a noise uh, when we come into his presence. Now, that's the biblical stuff. I've got a confession to make before I come any further. There are some things that we do in an apostolic church that you can't find in your Bible. Oh, I've been around long enough. I've seen people roll on the floors. I've seen them run the aisles. I don't suggest doing this in here, but I've seen them walk the back of pews. You try that in here, you're going to be surprised. I've seen people get crazy in church. Well, what's all this emotion for? I can't believe they get that crazy. We should be dignified and act like we got it all together. Hey, Sugar Bunny, let me go ahead and tell you. The man that's running the aisles used to run for God. And the chick that just rolled on the floor used to roll joints. But God reached down in his mercy. God reached down in his grace and said, hey, baby doll, uh, you may think you live for the devil, but I'm going to save your soul, uh, and I'm going to turn you around. Uh, and so what you see uh, is the overflow uh, of a forgiven heart. Uh, what you see here uh, is the response of a people that once were lost in sin, uh, but Jesus took them in. Uh, and then a little light from heaven filled their soul. I wish somebody would get what I'm preaching this morning. Uh, if you don't know anything else, uh, just know that God's been good to me. Uh, I cannot tell it all. Uh, I've got to praise uh, and I've got to let it out. It's all from this, this single thought. Psalm 105 tells it all. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. And his truth endures to all generations. You want to know why we jump and shout and run around? It's because look what the Lord has done. Jesus. Jesus. Y'all sit down. Now I ain't coming to preach about that. Because we get carried away with worship and think that true worship is just what we do at church. <laughs> Some people think that worship is only what happens when the praise team sings the right song. Or when the pastor quotes the right verses and gets everybody hyped up. My friend, that's really not true worship. To adequately understand true worship, we must go to a scripture, go to the scripture and find what worship really is. And I can think of no better place for us to realize what worship is than to study what worship looks like in heaven. Real glory. You see, in heaven, there is a specific order and a specific way to worship. And the best passage you can find in your Bible detailing worship is seen as heaven, in heaven 
is found in Isaiah chapter 6. The Bible tells us that Uzziah, the king of Judah, had died. And the prophet Isaiah was in the temple mourning the death of the king and wandering about the direction of God's people. You see, Judah had had its bouts of bad kings and its problems at the times. And, and now Uzziah had died, who was a relatively good king and a relatively righteous king. And, and Isaiah the prophet wondered, what's going to happen to God's people in this moment of transition? It's at this exact moment that something happens that will change the trajectory of Isaiah's ministry. The Bible says he sees a vision of the Lord on the throne of heaven. And the vision is so grand that Isaiah records uh, that the temple would shake. The post of the door would begin to shake. uh, And the train of God would begin, uh, the train of God's robe would begin to fill the temple. Isaiah immediately understands what he sees. God is showing the prophet that Yahweh is still large and in charge. Isaiah doesn't have to wonder if God's still on the throne. Uh, Isaiah gets a glimpse of Isaiah of God on the throne. Uh, he gets a revelation that the God of all gods uh, and the King of all kings uh, still reigns supreme no matter what's happening here on earth. But Isaiah also sees something that he's never really been seen before in Scripture. He sees what he calls the seraphim. They're angels. They're a type of angel. And I won't go into angelic order today, but, but they're a type of angel. And these seraphim are two, there are two things about these seraphim that Isaiah takes special note of. The first is that they each had six wings. Six wings. Six wings. Three pair of wings. The Bible says, though, they only used one of them to fly. Now you would think something with that many wings would use all of them to fly, but that's not what Isaiah saw. Isaiah saw that these angels in the presence of God would fly with one pair, but there would be another pair that they would cover their face. And with a third pair, they would cover their feet. They existed in the presence of God, and yet they did not approach God uncovered. They came covered. Their face was covered. Their feet was covered. They flew around the presence or the throne of God, but they came covered. The second is what they were saying. Isaiah records the song of heaven. And let me tell you something, folks. It's not very wordy. It's one of them 7-11 songs. It's only a few words, but it's what they sing perpetually in heaven. And they simply cry this, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. One will cry to the other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The earth is full of His glory. Ladies and gentlemen, I've come to preach to us today about true worship. And I've got to tell you that the revelation of true worship does not begin with anything other than the fact that the God we serve is holy. You got to hear me today. Uh, The Hebrew root word here translated holy literally means to be pure or clean. The idea is if that something is holy, then it is perfect and without defect. In fact, the word holy that we use so many times in Pentecost is a derivative of the word whole or complete, W-H-O-L-E. The idea being that if you are holy, you are complete. So what the angels are declaring in heaven as we speak is that the God of all gods and the King of all kings is perfect. He is pure. He is complete. He is holy. 
Understand when we talk about God's holiness, uh, we are referring to the fact that he is perfect in and of himself. Uh, God does not need uh, us. Uh, God does not need somebody else. Uh, God does not need anything to exist. Uh, he is perfect by himself. Now I know what we do in Pentecost is we praise his power, we exalt his excellence, we wonder at his word, we marvel at his miracles uh, and we're grateful for his grace, we rejoice because he's a redeemer, we're happy that he's our healer and we focus on the fact that he's one uh, and well we should uh, but if you really want to sum up the essence of God in one word, uh, that word uh, is he is holy. He is perfect in power. He is perfect in grace. He is complete in oneness. He is perfect in mercy. He is complete as a healer. He is perfect as a redeemer. He is by himself holy. The Bible tells us four distinct times, four distinct times in scripture that we are to worship and praise the Lord in the beauty of holiness. What is the beauty of of holiness. The beauty of holiness, ladies and gentlemen, is nothing more or less than the essence or the summation of God's identity and His essence. See, we get really ramped up about the fact that God can heal, and well, we should. But we must also remember that God is holy. Oh, I'm thankful to know that God is one Lord. Uh, I'm thankful to know, here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. I'm thankful for all of that. Uh, but at the end of the day, if I really want to sum it up in one idea, that idea is that the God you and I serve uh, is a holy, perfect, pure God. Uh, there's nobody like Him. Uh, there's nobody that can touch Him. Uh, he is perfect. He is holy. So God, Isaiah sees the throne and the glory of God. He sees the angelic host. He hears the song of the angels. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. He stands in awe and wonder at the spectacle before him. Yet I'll be honest with you today, church. His reaction baffles me. He's in the presence of Almighty God. And at this point in your Bible, no one has seen God. Like Isaiah has. Jacob has come close. Moses talked to him at times. Abraham was his friend and Enoch walked with him. But nobody, according to the recorded scripture, had seen God exactly like Isaiah had seen him. You would think that in the presence of Almighty God, Isaiah would have sense enough to ask whatever he needed. God's in the building. The posts are shaking. The smoke is billowing. The train of his robe fills the, the entire building. What an incredible moment. And yet Isaiah doesn't ask for a healing. Isaiah doesn't ask for a deliverance. Isaiah doesn't ask God to touch the nation or raise up a dead king. Isaiah requires, simply falls to his knees. And instead of shouting hallelujah, he cries Woe is me. I'm nothing. I'm a nobody. I stand in the presence of a holy, perfect, pure God. And I can't even stand here. I've got to fall to my face and cry, Woe is me. 
Ladies and gentlemen, while true worship begins with the revelation of God's holiness, we also must remember that it includes an understanding that you and I, I don't care who you are today, you and I don't come close to God's perfection and purity. Oh, I wish I could tell you that we can come boldly before His presence uh, as equals, but we are not equal with God. I wish I could tell you that we could just demand of God, but that doesn't happen. You see, even though Isaiah was a man of God and had been used to operate in the office of a prophet, he still had to admit that next to the holiness of God, he still came up short. That's why in Isaiah 64 and 6, he would write, but we are all an unclean thing and our righteousness is as filthy rags and we all do fade as the leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. David would echo his words when he would write the statement twice in the book of Psalms. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. The apostle Paul, that great apostle of the faith, would pick up the pen and write to the Roman church in Romans 3 and 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Paul, what are you saying? I'm telling you, I'm telling the church that I don't care how good you think you are, how long you've been in church, or how much you've given. The truth of the matter is compared to the holiness of God, we can't compare. We fall short of His holiness. Listen to me, church. I don't care how long you and I live for God. I don't care how many church services we attend, how much money we give, how much time we invest, how many souls we win. I don't care how, what our dress code is. We cannot measure up to God's holiness. I'm going somewhere with this, don't worry. We are not perfect. He is. I'm not. As much as I'd like to think my wife thinks I'm perfect. The reality is, we are not perfect. We are not complete outside of Him. Yet God and all of His holiness looks on sinful humanity and invites us to be like Him. Y'all didn't hear me. I said He's perfect. And we're not. He's complete. We are not. But a perfect holy God looks at sinful humanity and says, Be ye holy as I am holy. In fact, it's Peter who references a phrase found five times in the book of Leviticus when he writes 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16 says, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation or lifestyle. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. What God is doing here is He's commanding us to be like Him. What does that mean, Pastor? Well, let me tell you what Dr. David Bernard said in his book uh, uh, entitled Practical Holiness. He defines holiness as it relates to mankind uh, as conformity to the character of God. When God commands us to be holy like He is holy, He is commanding us to be conformed uh, into His character. That everything we are and everything that we do and how we look and how we talk and where we go and what we drink and what we put in our bodies 
Everything we do, every word that proceeds out of our mouth, everything we do is to be conformed into the character of God. And that's exactly, that's exactly what the Word of God is trying to get us to understand. But there's a problem with this because I can't conform into something I'm not. So what do we do? We've got to go back to Isaiah 6. Because the Bible says in Isaiah 6 that though Isaiah recognizes the holiness of God and though he admits his own unrighteousness, God is not stopped because of Isaiah's problems. Immediately, as the words leave Isaiah's lips, the Bible says that the angel of the Lord is dispatched to go to the altar. And when he gets to the altar, the Bible says that that angel takes a live burning coal off of the altar and places that live burning coal onto the lips of the man of God and says, Lo, this hath touched thy lips and thine iniquity is taken away and thy sin is purged. God on his throne says I know you can't obtain to my holiness so what I'll do is I'll dispatch somebody that can come to where you are and he'll put on you uh, something uh, that'll affect the way you talk y'all not hearing me that's exactly what happened when all of a sudden the angel of the Lord appeared to a young lady in Nazareth and said, Mary, you're going to bear a son. The child in you is from the Holy Ghost. Joseph was a little nervous. So the angel shows up and said, she shall bring forth a son. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And if that wasn't good enough, that baby would grow up, would die on a cross. His blood would purchase our salvation. And if that wasn't good enough, he'd rise on the th- from the grave three days later. And if that wasn't good enough, after 40 days of teaching, the disciples Uh, he would ascend up into heaven uh, and tell them to go wait for the promise of the father and when the day of Pentecost was fully come they were all with one accord in one place and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind but what happened there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire that set up on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. My friend, what happened was that God looked at sinful humanity and said, you can't be like me, so I'll become like you and I'll take away your sin." I wish somebody would hear me right now. This may be weird and strange to you, but you listen to this preacher right now. God sent me to remind you, I don't care how sinful you are. I don't care how bad you are. I don't care how unholy you are. There is a God who can step into your world and purge you, cleanse you, wash you from every sin, every iniquity, every bit of rebellion, every bit of nasty thinking. He came to where we are. He came to where we are and said, you can't be holy on your own. I'll make you like me. 
you got to hear what I'm about to say. You can't be holy without the Holy Ghost. You can, try, you can try. You can have good standards. You can live a decent life. But you can't be holy. Because if our definition of holiness is conformity into the character of God, you cannot take on the character of God until you take on the Spirit of God. So if you're struggling today, it's time for you to receive the Holy Ghost. Pastor, I'm dealing with stuff. I, I know, I know, I know we've, we, there are things that we deal with. And, and I don't have time to go into it. But the first thing you need to understand is, is if you're going to be victorious over sin, you've got to have the Spirit of God living inside of you. You cannot be holy without the Holy Ghost. Some of y'all are so nervous right now. Most of y'all are with me, but I think some of y'all are nervous. Because there's so much argument about this word holiness. I'm about to wreck some of (laughs) y'all. Don't get mad at me. If you're new here, don't get mad at me. Holiness is not your dress code. But dress code's part of it. Holiness is conformity to the character of God. Not how you dressed. Here's why I say that. Because we got too many people that think holiness is a checklist of standards. You can look the part and still be full of a devil. You can look it and not live it. With that being said, you can't live it and not look it. Lord, help me. It's tight, but it's right. Let me explain what I mean. There are two groups, two camps on this holiness idea. And the first group says it's all about standards. That's not true. Because if it was all about standards, the Pharisees would have never been rebuked by, by Jesus. See, the Pharisees, it wasn't that they weren't doing right. They weren't doing it in the right spirit. They had the checklist down and missed, missed God in flesh. will not you think about that for a moment? They had the checklist down, but they missed God in the flesh. When Jesus walked among them, They discredited him. Even though they looked the part. God help us not become so messed up in our thinking that we can be saved and we can obtain holiness by simply hitting a dress code. And again, that's very valuable. The other side, the other side of the coin says, or the opposite end of the spectrum says, We don't have to be holy because we have grace. If you, if, 
if you think about it, it sounds right. I can't earn my way into heaven. We know we're saved by grace. The unmerited favor of God towards man. I'm going somewhere, I promise. I can't earn it. So it sounds right. Here's the problem. It's not biblical. I got two examples for you. Y'all ready for this? Old Testament. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 6, the earth was wicked. God repented that he'd even made man. Deuteronomy 6 and 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. We can jump and shout and holler. He found grace. He didn't deserve it, but God gave him favor. And I'm thankful for grace, but if Noah only had grace, he'd have had to learn how to tread water. Because grace, grace is not a flotation device. Noah got grace, but he also got a blueprint to the ark. Pastor, I got grace. I don't have to mind how I live. Yes, you do, sweetheart. Because you have got to understand that though you've been given favor, God expects you to walk according to his word. And this, I love this one. Well, that's Old Testament. We're not in Old Testament. Okay, let's go to the New Testament. (laughs) Paul writes to a young preacher named Titus in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Y'all ready for this? Put it on the screen. I want them to see this. Titus chapter 2 verses 11 and 12. He's writing to a young preacher. He says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to, everybody say it, all men. men. My Lord, we ought to jump and shout right there. Every person can experience the grace of God. Everybody, white, black, Hispanic, I don't care if you talk in a different language. I don't care if you live in Alto or Africa. I don't care if you're rich or poor, educated, non-educated. I don't care how, what car you drive. I don't care how big of a house you live in. It doesn't matter if you're male or female, if you're baby boomer, Gen Z, uh, millennial. It doesn't matter. The reality is uh, grace has appeared to all men. Yeah. Teaching us. Yeah. Teaching us. That denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. You want to know what grace is? It's a teacher. It teaches you how to walk, how to talk, how to dress, how to live, how to post on social media, how to give, how to love. How to teach Bibles. Oh, I wish somebody hear me right now. Grace teaches us how to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Holiness is not irrelevant. Holiness is a lifestyle that will help you live by grace. Hear me today. We need grace and holiness. Am I making sense? Now, for those of you that have been wondering ever since I started, what in the world I'm talking about with a chicken on a screen? Let me get back to my title. 
talking to you about chicken coops, mean dogs, and a holy God. Now again, most of you are looking at me like, I have no clue what he's talking about. That's okay. I want to tell you a story. As many of you know, we have chickens now. We got chickens about, about in April, end of March, somewhere right in there. And we have a fabulous flock of four wonderful hens. And they're producing. They're doing great. In case you're wondering, they're doing great. We hadn't had them too, too long. Hadn't had them about, about two weeks. And we were home one Saturday afternoon. It was just after we'd just been at conference and I was home. <clears throat> and and I was cleaning the chicken coop out. I had the, the, the chickens running around in the backyard. And the kids were back there watching them. They were intrigued. Still are. And uh, they, they, they were looking out after the, the, the chickens. And I'm cleaning. And I'm taking, doing all the stuff I need to do. And I'm not paying attention. All of a sudden, the neighbor's dog decided to pay us a visit. Now... This dog, you got to understand, I don't know what she is exactly, but she's about yay high, she's brown, and she's old. Okay? She's probably the most harmless dog on the entire street. Okay? We got a big 60-pound golden doodle that doesn't do that. He, he looks so, so much meaner than, than, than this little brown dog. I don't even know what her name is. And, and she comes waddling up. Waddling up to the backyard. I'm not paying attention. Until all of a sudden I hear screams. And I look up and this little brown dog has got one of my new chickens in her mouth. She has discovered chicken dinner. And she's preparing to say the blessing. The napkin is going around her neck. She is ready to devour this chicken. What made it comical were my kids. All of them burst into tears. And poor Baylor is screaming at the top of his lungs. You mean dog, leave my chicken alone. You mean dog, get away from my chicken. I mean, he is blood-curdling scream. They probably thought all the way to the porter's house that somebody was dying. Okay? So I come and I run the dog off. I beat him with a stick. That's right, Baylor. <clears throat> Hope nobody's a PETA advocate in here. But So I got rid of the dog. She ran off. She hadn't been back, by the way. Uh, in case you're wondering. She drops the chicken. She goes one way. The chicken goes the other. And I went after the chicken. She had got up under the brush. She was hiding. She was so scared, she gave scrambled eggs for two weeks. That's how shook up she was. And I got this scared, bleeding chicken. She's, she's, she's still alive, in case you're wondering. And I got her out of the brush and out of the sticks. And in my little country mind, I knew that if the dogs can get her here, I've got to put her somewhere that's safe. I didn't take her to the front yard. I didn't take her to the neighbor's yard. I took her back to that chicken coop. You're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. I know you're hurting scared right now, but you're going to be, I know I look like an idiot, but this is what I did. You're going to be okay. Everything's going to be all right. Here, I'm going to put you in this chicken coop. Not one time did that chicken look at me and go, you're putting me back in the cage? 
but I feel so bound in the chicken coop. But I'm not free in the chicken coop. But I can't stretch my wings and fly in the chicken coop. She didn't say that. In her little chicken mind, she was going, thank God for the chicken coop. Because as long as I'm in the chicken coop, the mean dogs can't get me. I've come to preach to somebody today and tell you my job as your pastor is not to tickle your ears and make you feel good. My job as your pastor is to put guardrails up and say, hey, there's a mean dog trying to get you. He's trying to tear you apart. He's trying to destroy your life. He's trying to destroy your marriage. He's trying to destroy your children. But if you'll let me, I'll put you back in a chicken coop where the mean dogs can't get you. But pastor, that standard is restricting. But pastor, that standard doesn't make sense. But pastor, I don't understand why you preach it so hard. I'll explain it to you, sweetheart. I'm trying to make sure that you don't end up in the end up in hell uh, served on a platter for Satan Uh, my friend I hope and pray that I can get you to heaven in one piece uh, and I can look at God and say hey I may have had the the, the, the chicken coop a little confining but I got them here and they're going to make it uh, and they're living for you and they've been faithful (laughs) oh yes Yes, come on Wednesday nights because we're, we're about to be starting here in the next few weeks. I, I, haven't, I haven't really got it all together yet like I want it, but I will be starting over the next few Wednesday nights talking about holiness and talking about standards and talking about how to live and how to walk and how to talk. You say, well, that you're just meddling, Pastor. No, my friend, I'm trying to get you safe. I'm trying to help you make it. But I think I can do that and still live for God. You might can, but the mean dogs are prowling and if there's one slip up, they're going to destroy destroy you so my friend just help me help you uh, stay in the chicken coop you see God's called us to be holy like he is holy and the enemy's trying his dead level best to destroy a church from being holy he'll do anything he can to destroy you and me he doesn't care the casualties or the fallout He's not worried about the repercussions or the consequences. He's simply trying to destroy you. And the best way he knows how is to get you out of the guidelines and the standards and the the, the chicken coop of the church. And if you'll just step outside for a moment, he's waiting to destroy you. So I'm begging you, please, uh, let me as your pastor get you to heaven. Let me help you make it. Uh, Let me help you survive. So if I preach something or teach something that you don't understand, don't walk out the door. If I say something that you don't agree with, please don't write me off as a legalistic dictator that wants to have his way or the highway. No, my friend, I'm doing my dead level best to get you to heaven because my Bible tells me as a preacher that I've got to stand before God someday and give an account for your soul. And I need to be able to stand and say, God, I did the best I could. Why don't we stand? Music come. I'm talking to you about chicken coops, mean dogs, and a holy God. <laughs> Folks, I'm going I'm to help somebody here right now. Living for God is really easy. 
It really comes down to three things. Y'all ready for this? It's really three things. And I wish I could say I came up with this. I got this from Jeff Arnold. So I won't do my brother Arnold impersonation. We'll do that later. But he made a statement one time and I wrote it down. Living for God is three things. It's triple A. You ready? Add what God likes. Abolish what God hates. And alter the rest. Add what God likes. Abolish what God hates. And alter the rest. Some of that's kind of easy. Some things we know to to add or abolish. But then there are other things that... You could, you could talk to a hundred different people and might give it a different answer. And, and, and they may have scripture for all of it. But it's up to me. It's my job. is to help you alter. When you don't understand. Maybe you don't have the answer. Maybe I, maybe I, 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 I can help you alter some things or add some things or even abolish some things in your life that will help you make it to heaven. That's living for God. And so if there's something that keeps you from God's presence, it might need to go away. I don't care if it's eating fried chicken. Some of you think I'm getting on my meddling now. Get the principle. If it draws you closer to God, it may be something you need to add. If in your week you look up and you notice that I didn't pray as much this week. Maybe there needs to be some altering. I'm just talking to you about being holy, church. Because I can't make you holy. I can give you guardrails and standards, but I can't make you holy. You can follow guardrails and standards, and it still won't make you holy. But what I am preaching about today is somebody get a love for God and a desire to be like Him that'll say, you know what? I may not understand the chicken coop. And I may feel restricted at times. But I'm willing to set it aside or add it or alter it in order to please God. Because I want to please a holy God today. I want to please a holy God today. I've already made up my mind. My wife and I have already made up our minds. There are people that we will not identify with because of their decision to forsake holiness. I'm not being ugly, church. I just, I can't afford. I can't afford to play with this. I can't be holy on my own. I can't be holy on my own merit. But there is a holy God that it says, if you'll just let me have you, I'll take your sin. I'll take your iniquity. I'll make you what you can't become on your own. I'll make you like me. If you want that this morning, I invite you to an altar this morning to lift your hands all over this building. And if you would like to make a commitment to say, God, I want to be like you. I want to invite you to these altars. I want to invite you to step out of your pew. There is a God right now that wants to step into your world. Don't you worry about your past. 
Don't you worry about the questions. God will answer the questions. But why don't you step out and say, God, would you make me holy? God, would you give me a love for your holiness? Don't just give me a, a love for standards. God, give me a love for true apostolic holiness. Help me, God, to be holy like you are holy. God, woe is me. I'm undone. I can't do it on my own. But God, if your presence will overshadow me and you will clothe me with your holiness, then God, I know anything's possible. God, I want to be holy as you are holy. God, sweep through this congregation today. I pray, Lord, that your hand would begin to move. I'm asking, Lord, that every individual under the sound of my voice, God, would make a, a commitment, a dedication today. God, to say, God, I will be holy. I will strive for your perfection. I will strive for your holiness. I will walk according to your will. I will do what I can, God. Oh, Lord, help us to be holy. You are holy, Lord. Help us to be holy.